It's always an honor to be with you, and uh, I am so grateful for Mark and our worship team. They'll make charismatics out of boring Christians, won't they? It's amazing what wholehearted worship will do to us. If you have your Bibles this morning, I want to invite you to turn to 1 Samuel chapter 30. 1 Samuel chapter 30. Have you ever been in a crisis? Have you ever gotten the phone call that somebody you loved had passed away? Have you ever been called into the office and told your job was terminated? Have you ever gotten divorce papers? Have you ever found out that a spouse was unfaithful? Have you ever been stabbed in the back by a friend? Have you ever been in an international pandemic? Jesus said in this world we will have tribulation and life will have ups and downs, little peaks, little valleys, sometimes high peaks, sometimes very low valleys. And until we get to heaven... There will be those days of adversity, those evil days, those hard days. Being in ministry causes you to see the best in people, but it also causes you to hear the worst of the worst. Many times when a church member is in a crisis, they'll come to the pastor or the staff and they'll say, here's what's going on in in my life. And many times the stories are very hard to hear people who have professed Jesus as Lord, and whether it's for their, because of their own sin or somebody else's sin or just one of those things in this broken world when they hear devastating news that is in a crisis. How are we to respond in a crisis? Because the Bible says the devil will attack us at very inopportune times. He looks for the perfect Worst time that we would have ever picked, and he knows that that's the best time from his perspective to come after you, to try to see if he can get you filled with fear and doubt and depression and devastation and for you to walk away from your faith and for you to walk away from your responsibilities and for you to no longer rejoice evermore, pray without ceasing and in everything give thanks, and for you to become another casualty in the faith. Job went through a crisis. He had a day of evil. The devil strategically set it up so that his children would be killed, his possessions would be robbed, and then, as you know, his health was after that taken away. The evil day showed up for Job. It was the day of adversity. There's moments in our life when you could be in the center of God's will and still feel like everything is against you and everyone is against you. It's bad enough to hear sad news, but in Job's situation, the devil strategically set it up so Job would be hit on every side all at the same time. And it was devastating. He cursed the day of his birth. He was grieving so deeply. So Satan likes to kick us when we're down. He likes to strategically set up all the bad news to hit at once. And his hope is to steal, kill, and destroy. 
And people have thought about this year as being a hard year, and it has been a hard year. It's been a hard year for families in some ways. It's been a hard year for businesses in many ways. It's our travel has been messed up, but at the same time, there's been crisis in our streets, there's been riots, there's been division, there's been, and I've thought, you know, the church hasn't been meeting for just a few months, and we're supposed to be the salt and light of the world, and the enemy is having a heyday at the same time. So with that in mind, I want to talk about how do we bounce back in a crisis? And I want to talk about the Amalekites for a minute, and then I want to talk about David in Scripture, because one of my favorite stories of a comeback is in the book of 1 Samuel in chapter 30, when David hits, experiences this incredible crisis. And the people that attack him are the Amalekites. If you back up, we're introduced to the Amalekites when Israel gets out of Egypt they cross the Red Sea, they're rejoicing in the Lord, they're thirsty, God gives them water, and then out from nowhere, this, cunt, this group of uh, raiders shows up behind them and attacks them from the rear, and it's the people that are the weakest, the most feeble in Israel, the Bible says. And they just come up, the senior adults, the children, the people that are sick, and the Amalekites just start wiping them out and attacking them. That's how we're introduced to the children of Amalek. They're descendants of Esau, the Bible communicates. It's almost like Pearl Harbor, out from nowhere, unprovoked, this devastating attack happens. And it was in this situation that Joshua, the man, was introduced. Because Moses, if you remember, stood on the hill and said, go fight the Amalekites. And he lifted up his arms and Aaron and Hur held his arms. And God gave them victory that day. But at the same time, the Lord said at the end of that battle that the Lord will be at war with the Amalekites for what they've done, and God will bring justice and judgment upon them. He says, I will make, this is the Lord speaking, I will make war with Amalek for generations, and I will blot them out from the face of the earth, because they were agents of Satan. The Bible called them the enemies of God. And if you follow in Scripture repeatedly, over and over again, in Numbers and in Deuteronomy, the Amalekites kept attacking Israel. It was in the book of Judges when Gideon, if you remember, he's, they're trying to get crops, and the Amalekites joined the Midianites and would come in when the crops came in and just pilfer and plunder and take everything away and attack them. They just continued to oppress them. And People have talked about how they represent the flesh in our lives, that our own weakness is constantly coming after us and we have to die to it daily and resist. But this is basically a terrorist group that keeps coming in and attacks. And God says, when you get into the promised land, they had to wait 40 years because of their disobedience. He says, when you get into the promised land, he says, I want you to completely defeat the Amalekites. So God, God's warning and preparing his people. So if you remember when Saul became king, Samuel, the prophet, said, all right, go wipe them out. And Saul, instead of obeying the Lord, disobeyed. He half destroyed them, and he kept King Agag, and he kept some of the good things, 
and he didn't obey the Lord completely. And so Samuel said, God's going to take the kingdom away from you, Saul. You're not being completely obedient in this situation. And he's going to give the kingdom to someone else who will obey God with all of his heart. Well, if you follow in Scripture, Amalek, the Amalekites continued to haunt Israel for years to come after that because of Saul's disobedience. And it was actually an Amalekite that did Saul in after he fell on his own sword. So it came back to bite Saul. And there's evidence in Scripture that King Agag's descendants that, that Saul should have killed when God told him to went on to be one of the descendants, Haman, in the book of Esther, in the book of Ruth. No, it was Esther. You're right. Just keeping you on your toes there. So. But the backdrop of this is David is now running for his life. Saul's trying to kill him out of jealousy. And in 1 Samuel chapter 30, David and his 600 men had established homes in Ziklag. I remember that because of jet lag. That helps me remember Ziklag. <laughs> but he comes home to Ziklag and his, 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 their wives, their children, their homes are there in this city called Ziklag. And in 1 Samuel chapter 30, and then it happened when David and his men came to Ziklag on the third day that the Amalekites, there they are again, He's now dealing with the consequences of Saul's disobedience. The Amalekites had made a raid on the Negev and on Ziklag and had overthrown Ziklag and burned it with fire and taken captive the women and all who were in it, both small and great. They killed no one, but they carried them off and went their way. And when David and his men came to the city, they found it burned with fire and their wives and their sons and daughters taken captive. This was an evil day. This was a crisis. Unexpectedly. What if you went home today and your house was burned and you found out ISIS had come in and kidnapped your family and your neighbors and everything is stolen and taken away from you? How would you respond in that situation? Well, verse 4, it says, then David and the people who were with him raised their voices and they wept until they had no more strength to weep. Weeping over the loss, weeping over their families being taken. He doesn't know if they're alive or dead. Weeping over his house being burned down, weeping over, and I'm in the middle of God's will, David's probably thinking, and look what happened, the crisis, the evil day has hit me. It says David's two wives have been taken captive Ahinom of Jezreel and Abigail, the widow of Nabal. Of, and it says, verse 6, and David was greatly distressed. You can underline those two words, greatly distressed. It says in verse 4, he had no more strength. He's greatly distressed. And then it says, and the people began to want to stone him. So now his 600 men, not only are they weeping and grieving, but his own team now, David's the leader. He's the one that said, let's move to Ziklag. He was the one that said, let's go out on this mission that we're going on. He's the leader, and now they've turned on him, and now they want to kill him. Now, I want you to jump down to verse 18. 
Verse 18, it says, David recovered all that the Amalekites had taken, and David rescued his two wives. Nothing was missing, whether small or great, sons or daughters, spoil, or anything that had been taken. David brought back all of it. David also captured all the flocks and the herds, and the people drove the livestock before him. They said, this is David's spoil. And I'm like, what? what am, wait a minute, what? If this was a movie and you had got up, got up and gone to the bathroom in between the weeping and the stoning and you come back in and now he's got the great victory, you'd be like elbowing people saying, well, hold on a second, what happened? It was like everything was heading south. And now I'm looking back and now David's got his wife, well, his wives, his wives back and his children and he's got, he's got this great, what has happened? What happened in this situation? Everything is bad and now suddenly... This guy has bounced back. What was the turning point? What was the pivotal moment? And I love this verse. If you look down in verse 6, David was greatly stressed for the people spoke of stoning him because all the people were bitter in soul, each for his sons and daughters. Basically, everything is saying to David now, quit, you're a loser, kill yourself, end it all, jump off a bridge, go into depression. Now look at these next words. But David strengthened himself in the Lord his God. This is incredible to me. This is inspiring to me. Because David had grown up hearing the stories of Joshua and his exploits and Moses and great victories. If you go back and look in Deuteronomy, as Moses, right before he dies, God says to Moses, go encourage and strengthen Joshua (laughs) because he's about to have to take over and then go in to the promised land and fight all the battles. And at the end of Deuteronomy, God says to Joshua, be strong and courageous And over and over again in Joshua chapter 1, God says to Joshua, be strong and courageous. Don't be afraid. I'm with you wherever you go. Don't be afraid and shake in fear. Don't be dismayed and get so discouraged that you break under the pressure because I'm with you wherever you go. And Joshua, as you know, went on to win great victories. And in this situation, David didn't have Moses to encourage him. He didn't have his own men to encourage him. They were trying to kill him. He didn't have his wife to encourage him. She was gone. He had nobody. And everything and everyone was against David in this situation. He's in one of the greatest crises of his life. So what did he do? All he had was the Lord. And the Lord was enough. It says he strengthened himself in the Lord. He strengthened himself in the Lord. How do you do that? Can, you do, is that? can you even do that? How do you strengthen yourself in the Lord? Wouldn't it be cool? Because it, then it just goes on that he rallies his men, he prays, and he says, let's go get them. He rallies the troops of the other guys that are part of his team back to let's go fight. And they end up tracking down their wives and children, winning the victory, defeating the enemy, bringing back all the spoil. And right after that, David becomes king. And as you know, goes on to be one of the greatest kings in history. But this pivotal moment, he strengthens himself in the Lord, was a key to this entire story change. 
it would be really cool to find out what David was thinking when he did this, wouldn't it? How did he do it? Well, I was thinking, wouldn't it be cool if we had a book of David's thoughts, of how he prayed and what was in his mind? And then I thought, you know, we do. (laughs) In fact, in Psalm 42, when he says, why so downcast, O my soul, put your hope in God, you know what David's doing? He's preaching to himself. He's counseling himself. He's feeding the word to himself. He's strengthening himself. Why so downcast, O my soul? Put your hope in God. And then I found Psalm 18. You know what Psalm 18 is about? It says this is the song of victory that David would sing. This is the prayer David would pray to recount what God would do after he would destroy his enemies or when he was being attacked by Saul. And this sounds like his victory song. He keeps bringing it out. And so I went back, and so if you could turn to Psalm 18, Psalm 18 is laying out how David strengthened himself in the Lord. And it says, I love you, O Lord, my strength. You are my strength. Where did he get it? He tells us in verse 1. Verse 2, he says, Lord, you're my rock, my fortress, my deliverer, my God, my rock, in whom I take refuge. The Bible calls God a rock 20 times in the book of Psalms. He says, you're my shield. David knew about shields. You're the horn of my salvation. A horn represented the strength of an animal in battle. The bigger, the stronger the horn, the more powerful and established the animal was. And they were even used as instruments of worship because they represented victory and strength. He says, God is my horn. He's the horn of my salvation. Well, how did you do it, David? Look in verse 3. He says, I call upon the Lord. That's what I do. Who's worthy to be praised. And I'm saved from my enemies. Now he describes the day, the evil day. Verse 4, the cords of death encompassed me. The floods or torrents of destruction assailed me. The cords of Sheol, the place of death. I was in a death trap, basically. The the snares of death confronted me. And in my distress, there's that word again, in my crisis, when everything was falling apart, he said, I called upon the Lord. To my God, I cried out for help. From his temple, he heard my voice, and my cry to him reached his ears. Jump down to verse 17. What did God do then? He rescued me from my strong enemy. These aren't weak enemies. They're strong, but God is stronger from those who hated me, for they were too mighty for me. David's being honest about his own need. They confronted me in the day of my calamity. It's the evil day. But the Lord was my support. One of the secrets was that David was right with God. Look at verse 20. The Lord has dealt with me according to my righteousness. According to the cleanness of my hands, he's rewarded me. For I've kept the ways of the Lord. I've not acted wickedly and departed from my God. David pursued being right with God. And being right with God sets us up to be bold. The Bible says the righteous are bold as a lion. But our sin, our hidden sin, makes us into cowards. It makes Adam hide from God. It makes Judas angry when the ointment's poured on Jesus' feet. It makes a wise man into a fool. Our sin makes the free man a slave. It makes us doubt and fear. But David said, I I got right with God. Verse 23, I was blameless before him. I kept myself from my guilt. So the Lord has rewarded me according to my righteousness, according to the cleanness of my hands. 
Well, how, how did God help you, David? Look at verse 28. Well, it is you who lights my lamp. I was in darkness, and the Lord lightens my darkness. I was confused. I was freaking out of my crisis, but God became my light. And, and by him, I can run against the troop. I can track down those armies. And by my God, I can leap over a wall. This God, his way is perfect. The word of the Lord proves true. He's going to be faithful to his word. He's a shield for all those who take refuge in him. For who is God but the Lord and who is a rock except our God? The God who equipped me with strength. I'm saying I can't do it, but God says you can. He's made my way blameless. Verse 33, he made my feet like the feet of a deer. He set me secure on the heights. Well, I don't know how to really do this. Verse 34, well, he'll, he'll train you. God can train you to do things the, the world cannot train you to do. You say, well, I don't have the skills to do that. Well, the Lord can help you. Verse 35, you've given me the shield of your salvation. Your right hand has supported me. Your gentleness made me great. You say, well, there's no path. Well, verse 36, you gave a, white, a wide place for my steps under me. My feet did not slip. Well, what did David then do with this strength that God had provided him, this ability? Look at verse 37. He went on the offense. He didn't just get up out of the pit. He went after the enemy. Verse 37, I pursued my enemies and I overtook them, did not turn back till they were consumed. I thrust them through so that they were not able to rise. They fell under my feet. For you equipped me with strength for the battle. You made those who rise against me sink under me. And that's exactly what happened. How did God flip this whole situation? Look at verse 43. You delivered me from strife with the people. Remember those? His own people were trying to kill him. He said, you made me the head of nations. He was anointed king and he later on became king. The people who, I'm ha who I had not known served me. Verse 46. The Lord lives Blessed be my rock, and exalted be the God of my salvation, the God who gave me vengeance, subdued peoples under me, who rescued me from my enemies. Yes, you exalted me above those who rose against me. You delivered me from the man of violence. Look at verse 49. For this I will praise you, O Lord, among the nations, and sing to your name great salvation he brings to his king, and show steadfast love to his anointed, to David and his offspring forever. When I look at this, I'm so inspired, so inspired. We're like, man, David, he killed Goliath. He was the man. And David's like, no, I was weak. My enemy was bigger than me. The Amalekites come in. They do all this stuff, and it's total crisis mode. Everybody's after him. He's greatly distressed. He's weeping, but he strengthens himself in the Lord. And the Lord empowers him, enables him to do what he ordinarily could never do. Not only does he rise up, but he goes after his enemy. And he overcomes evil in this situation. As I read down through this psalm again and again, I could smell Jesus all over it. Verse 2, the Lord is my rock. The Bible describes Jesus as a rock. It says, the horn of God's salvation. Jesus' name means the Lord is my salvation. Verse 3, I called upon the Lord and am saved. How are we saved? Whoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. What's his name? Jesus. Verse 4, the snares of death confronted me, hell. 
who, who defeated hell. Verse 20, Jesus cleanses us from our sins. He's the one that makes us righteous. Verse 28, Jesus is the lamp and the light of the world. Verse 35, your right hand supports me. Jesus is the right hand of God. He's the head of the nations. Verse 46, the Lord lives. Jesus, the resurrected one, lives. Verse 50, great salvation he brings to his king. Jesus is God's king. Shows steadfast love to his anointed. Jesus is the the Messiah means the anointed one. To David and his offspring forever. Jesus is the son of David. The root of David. Jesus is our salvation. Jesus is the greatest comeback king of all time. When everything was against Jesus, he came back with strength. He wasn't overcome by evil. He overcame evil with good. And I started thinking, was Jesus ever in a crisis and and strengthened himself in the Lord? In the Garden of Gethsemane, I want to give you these points really quickly. In the Garden of Gethsemane, something amazing happens. It says that Jesus went to the Garden of Gethsemane before he went to the cross. He says, sit here while I pray. He took with him Peter, James, and John. And listen to this. It says he became greatly distressed and troubled. Wait a minute. This is Jesus who calmed the storm, who said, quit being worried. And Jesus is distressed and troubled? He says, my soul is very sorrowful even unto death. And he withdrew from them about a stone's throw and knelt down and prayed, saying, Father, if you're willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. And there appeared to him an angel from heaven, this is in Luke, strengthening him in his distress. And being in agony, he prayed more earnestly, and his sweat became like drops of blood falling down to the ground. You want to talk about intense agony, sweating drops of blood. And when he rose from prayer, he came to his disciples and found them sleeping, his own teams not supporting him at this time. He says to them, why are you sleeping? Rise up and pray. And if you remember, with boldness, he goes in, exposes Judas He says, who do you seek? They said, Jesus of Nazareth. He said, I am. They fall back to the ground. He heals a man. He goes to the cross and takes our sin upon him and then overcomes all the enemies through the cross and then comes back. How did Jesus strengthen himself under duress? I want to give you these really quickly. Number one, he got alone so he could earnestly pray. David did this repeatedly. God, you're my refuge. You're my escape. When you get the report, when you get the call, when the crisis hits you, the Bible doesn't say quit, give up, panic, jump off a bridge. The Bible says men ought to pray, not to faint. Secondly, he became reverently transparent in God's presence. I don't know if you can see that. He became reverently transparent in God's presence. The Apostle Paul says, my power is made perfect. God says to Paul, my power is made perfect in weakness. Many times there's tears in the prayer closet. 
There's weakness in the prayer closet. There's desperation in the prayer closet. It's okay to be a crying child in the prayer closet. The Bible says in Hebrews that Jesus cried with tears to the Father, knowing he could save him. David says, my tears have been my food day and night. I want you to know, to be strong in public, it's okay to be weak before the Lord. It's okay to be poor in spirit. Jesus says, you're blessed when you're poor in spirit. The Apostle Paul says, I learned to rejoice in my weakness because in my weakness, his, he's made strong. Jesus was reverent, was transparent before the Father. He was completely dependent upon the Father. David was reverent before the Father. Both of them in desperation and in tears. One of the secrets to walking in victory is humbling yourself before the Father in private. Thirdly, he called God Father, knowing he was a beloved son. Jesus, when he knelt down, said, Abba, Father. Galatians 4 says, you and I are no longer slaves. God has put his spirit in our hearts, crying out, Abba, Father, Daddy. We can know that we are beloved children, even in a crisis. David knew his identity. Jesus knew his identity, and in a crisis, we must remember that we're loved and chosen and blessed and forgiven because of our faith in Christ, and we're adopted, and we have the Holy Spirit within us. And when the evil day comes, Ephesians 6 says, be strong in the Lord, in who you are in the Lord, and in the power of his might, and stand firm in the evil day. Fourthly, Jesus prayed specifically and repeatedly. It's interesting that he prayed three times. It's interesting that Elijah prayed seven times before God sent the rain. It's interesting that Paul prayed three times about his thorn in the flesh. It's a battle. There's been times when I'm looking at Philippians 4, 6, and 7. Lord, you said in your word I should be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving I should let my request be made known to you. And you said you would cover me with your peace. And I'm not at peace right now. There have been times when I've gotten down on my knees and in desperation I'm crying out to the Lord. I'm trying to cast my cares upon him. And I'm worrying on my knees and I get up and I don't have peace. I still don't have peace. And I go back in and I get down on my knees and I'm wrestling again in prayer. And I'm crying out to the Lord and I'm saying, God, help me. Help me to remember your faithfulness in the past. Help me to cast my cares upon you. I'm praying and I don't have peace. And Lord, your word says... A peace should come over to me. Sometimes it's that third, it's that fourth, it's that fifth time wrestling in prayer when the peace comes. We have a God who's faithful to his word. He's not a fast food drive through window. We order the prayer and pull around and he says, my pleasure, and he hands it to us. God is not obligated to operate on your timetable. He's perfect in his timing. And we must grab a hold of the horns of the altar and believe in prayer and pray until the peace comes. You see that throughout Scripture. You see that with Jesus. Three times he's going. 
And the Lord strengthens him, and he rises up in boldness and strength after weeping in desperation before his father. He strengthened himself. And then he went and obeyed the Lord. Number five, he volitionally surrendered to the Father's will. It is when we're praying, if we want to strengthen ourselves, we need to get alone. We need to get right. We need to remember who we are in Christ. We need to pray specifically, repeatedly, not give up. And we need to surrender to the Father's will. Father, whatever happens in the midst of this crisis, I am surrendered to you. I'm going to obey you regardless of what happens. See, the devil wants to use fear and depression and anxiety to become your Lord where you bow to the fear rather than the Father in that situation. So in the crisis, the enemy is hoping you will become disobedient and obey your fear. But Jesus submitted in prayer in the crisis. Even before the betrayal, he says, not my will, but yours be done. Why should God strengthen you if you're only going to disobey him? But if you're surrendered to him, he's like, now I can strengthen you. David, you can go attack the enemy. Jesus, you can go to the cross. I'm with you. Number six, he arose by God's strength to overcome evil with good. God doesn't just pull you up out of a crisis to just exist. Romans 12, 21 says, be not overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. David rose up, and he didn't just in the crisis not die. He rallied the troops. He went after the enemy. And in your crisis, the Lord doesn't want you to just exist. He wants you to shine. He wants you to be bold. He wants you to overcome evil with good. And then lastly, he intentionally influenced others to help him fulfill God's will. He intentionally influenced others to help him fulfill God's will. That's what David did. He rose up, rallied the troops that were against, against him, and he went after the enemy. What did Jesus do? He rose up. He instructs his disciples. All the way to the cross, Jesus was in total control. You and I must rally the church, rally our family, rally believers, rally those around us. When we strengthen ourselves, we rally and encourage others. Let's go do the will of God in the midst of this crisis. We're not going to cower. We're not going to be afraid. We're going to obey the Lord. So, what is your Amalekite? What is your crisis? Are you in a crisis right now? Has the evil day come? Because God's children are not quitters. God's children are warriors. He didn't save us to give up and cower and bow to evil. We don't bow or surrender to evil. We don't walk in defeat. We stand on the victory Jesus has won on the cross. We don't have to cower in fear. God's not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Our enemy is not stronger than our God. Greater is he who is in us than he that is in the world. If we get knocked down, we don't stay down. A righteous man falls seven times, and he rises again, Scripture says. We don't abandon our post. We pray and obey our Lord. We're not losers. We're more than conquerors through him who loved us. We're not alone in the battle. 
He's with us. The enemy will say you can't do it, and God will say you can do all things through Christ who strengthens you. Galatians 6, 9 says, Be not weary in well-doing, church, for in due season you will reap if you don't faint. 1 Corinthians 15, 58, Be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing the labor in the Lord is not in vain. We will not be overcome by evil, but we will overcome evil with good. If you're here this morning and you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, then you are living in defeat. And the one who conquered death, hell, and the grave is offering you a free gift of salvation that you could never buy or purchase or earn. But out of the kindness of his heart and out of the love of God, he laid down his life to pay for your sins because you can never clean yourself up for heaven. But the Bible says if you will call on the name of the Lord Jesus, you will be saved. Jesus said whoever believes in him will not perish and go to hell but will have everlasting life. And if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, when the crisis comes in the future, strengthen yourself in the Lord and rise up and do the will of God and watch God be glorified in the midst of your crisis. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the example of David in Scripture, and we thank you for Jesus. And Lord, I pray for the believers that are listening to this message right now, if they are fearful, afraid, if they're struggling, if they feel like they're failures, Lord, I pray that you would give them the grace to strengthen themselves in the Lord, to stand upon your word, to call upon your name, to get honest and sincere before you. And Lord, I pray that as they surrender to you, as they pray to you, as they wrestle in prayer, that you would make them strong, that they would rise up and obey whatever you've called them to do with the strength of the Lord, that they would rally the people around them. Let's go do the will of God together, whatever it may be. Lord, I pray that the enemy would not have his way with us, that we would not bow to him, cower to him, but we would be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. And we would stand firm in the evil day. And Lord, we pray that you would be glorified through us and that you would draw people to yourself, that we would worship you because of the victories that you win in our lives. And we pray these things in Jesus' mighty name.